0: You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to another episode of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. It has been a little while. Uh, A lot has changed. A lot has been going on uh, behind the scenes. As you can see, new location, uh, which means a new backdrop. We've got the Hoops Fix All-Star Classic jerseys uh, over my shoulders. They will overlook any interviews I do from now on. I don't need the uh, branded black backdrop behind me to try and cover an ugly wall because uh, we've got a nice um, a background. But aside from that, we're trying to really push things forward uh, behind the scenes. Maybe I'll do an update on that in a, in a separate episode. Um, but that is why things have been a little bit quiet on the, on the podcast front. But... Uh, When there are topics that I feel need to be discussed and deserve a pod, um, I will endeavour to make it happen, and this is one of those. Uh, On today's show, we spoke with Lens Balan. Uh, He is a vice president of 777 Partners who, just before Christmas, uh, it was announced, invested £7 million for a 45% stake in the British Basketball League. As you'll hear in the podcast, they've actually got a 50% stake uh, because they own the London Lions as well. So they now have a 50% stake uh, in the league Um, and they are trying to transform uh, British basketball. They see the potential that we all um, believe and uh, I wanted to find out more why they decided to make that investment, what they believe it could be, how it's going to be different um, from other situations where we've seen money be invested into the game. And maybe I came in sceptical, but I've come away very optimistic, and dare I say it, maybe even a believer. Um, You know, the scale of ambition they have is huge, which I think is a great thing. I think British basketball is plagued by small-time thinking, and the only way it's ever going to change is for someone to believe that that it's not a small-time sport, and that it can be played in arenas every single week, and every club can have their own facility, and there can be wide-ranging grassroots community programs, development pathways, um, and there can be a huge fan base, and that is what 7-7 believe, like... You know, the things that, well, he was saying all of the right things, uh, in my opinion. Uh, it sounds like they very much have done their due diligence. They've done their research. They've done a lot of modeling. Um, they're taking a data driven approach. And that is informing everything they're going to be doing moving forward. Uh, also, one of the things that I strongly believe in, which they are very much aligned with, uh, is that ultimately all of this stuff comes down to the quality of the people they have involved. And that is why hiring is gonna be so key. Um, they are working with CAA, one of the biggest agencies in the world, uh, to hire um, a CEO for the BBL, which hopefully will happen in the next few months. And then from there, build out the management structure. And I, this is why this investment um, is slightly different, uh, or unprecedented in a sense that it's going to be invested into league infrastructure. It's not going to players, uh, it's not necessarily going to individual franchises in that way, um, but it's really building out the league operations and presence to scale this thing, to reach new heights. Um, So I am super excited, and I think when you have that level of ambition that they have, you will attract the right people. Um, Other people with similar ambition who also believe in the project will come on board um, because it is exciting. So we shall see. Anyway, we went for about an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, It was super interesting. There was also loads of stuff that I did not get get to, so I'm sure I will get emails afterwards being like, why didn't you ask about this? Why didn't you ask about that? but uh unfortunately this was it and i think maybe there's scope for a part 2 in the future but i think also they need some time to kind of get their head head around things um and sort of execute on the plan as you will hear there's a lot going on they have a lot of uh, other projects as well you know this is not their only um investment in their portfolio uh far from it so very very busy people but uh hopefully this pod gives a sort of behind the scenes insight into their their mindset coming in, um, what they're trying to do, and what we can expect in the coming uh, months and years. As always, uh, before we get into the show, please take two seconds to check out our Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash H-O-O-P-S-F-I-X. There you can sign to give us a monthly or annual contribution for as much or as little as you would like. Um, you know, Ultimately, the content business is a hard business to monetize. Um, you know, This takes a lot of time, a lot of investment uh, for very little return. So getting people to sign up to our Patreon goes a a, a little way in helping us do what we do. So please go and consider it patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. As always, uh, I'd love to hear your feedback on the show. I'd love to hear uh, what you think about what Lens has to say. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment below. Um, If you're listening on uh, iTunes or wherever else you listen to Apple Podcast Player, rather, um, drop me an email, sam at hoopsfix.com, or you can reach out to me on every single social media platform at hoopsfix. Anyway... That is enough from me. Uh, here is this week's show with Vice President of 777 Partners, uh, Lens Balan. Lens, welcome to the show.
1: Well, uh, thanks for having me, Sam. Good to finally meet and connect.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like, like we were just saying before we start recording, it's been a, been a long time coming. Um, it's kind of this been a lot of buzz in the air around british basketball uh especially around 777 and your investment into the game and people really want to see behind the scenes understand kind of the intentions uh, the goals what people are what what your guys uh, what your guys goals are um and what you're trying to do with british basketball i think the the the, the obvious place to start for me uh, is kind of the high level overview with what it is what is it about british basketball that you see um that has led to you you know investing a significant amount of money into it
1: yeah, yeah, no, I mean, thanks. I think I think some of it is uh is uh is just passion for the sport. Um our founding partners, uh one of them played college basketball, his son who's on the investment team played college basketball. Uh the rest of us who were working on this were wish we played college basketball. Myself and Adam were kinda of collating. Oh, Adam Weiss who uh, I co-led sort of the transactions uh, in terms of our basketball investments in the UK. Josh Wanders a crazy fan, so there's a real deep sort of passion for the sport. Uh, for me, on a personal note, uh, even though I never was uh, didn't grow beyond five foot nine and wasn't that great of a hooper, um, it was almost like a way in which my parents uh, uh, sort of bribed me into like working really hard in school and 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 doing that. I was like you can't play on the basketball team unless you get you know these grades, and so. Basketball to me and to my community is and personally has meant a tremendous amount. So I'm, a, I'm I'm a crazy fan, and I realize that basketball, like all sports, has a tremendous, uh, tremendously positive impact on. Um, on, on sort of people, people in general, but especially at sort of the youth level. So when we kind of got to the UK, um, we were sort of looking and we were like, where we watch a basketball game? And we realized there was nothing. Uh, and then we kind of reached out to the BBL and then started doing, uh, reached out to, to the London Lions. And then we started doing our work and we kind of looked and said, this is a massive sleeping giant. This makes absolutely no sense. Why? Why basketball is a major thing in the UK. Uh, And we started to dig into it more and more and more and liked the, and started to understand why it's been an issue, but liked the opportunity from a business investment and also from a fan's point of view. And then thirdly, we kind of understood some of the underlying. Uh, sort of dynamics that have to do with things that, uh, you know, that have to do with sort of the way the sport hasn't been promoted uh, in general. And we almost took it up as a social cause, like this is a cause for good in addition to uh, an investment opportunity. Uh, And you don't always get that where you feel like you're connecting those two things. And uh, And so massive upside opportunity, a deep understanding of how sport can impact young people in a very positive way. Um, and it just sort of made a lot of sense to us. And then the other thing is, you know, we kind of look around and we say there are other people uh, out there who have done this, um, have turned around leagues. Uh, Australia and NBL is a, is a good example of one, German Bundesliga is a good example of one. Uh, and we think we can accelerate that journey with a real focus on developing, you know, high-quality content um, that, uh, developing high-quality content <coughs> that sort of generally drives engagement uh with new uh and grow with new audiences so uh our hope is to sort of make british basketball the second uh, the bbl the second most uh popular basketball league in the world um and that is the intention from you know from from josh and steve uh and we're we're going to do everything we can to make that happen
0: What be what sort of i guess you know when it comes to an investment like this you have to do a, a large amount of due diligence um, mm-hmm. And, you know, in all the research that you've done and kind of looking into the background of the sport and why maybe it hasn't thrived until now and what the issues have been, what's kind of been your assessment of it and what has held it back that you think that you're going to, uh, um, to be able to, I guess, solve, fix to be able to really grow the game?
1: Well, I, mean, I think there are a lot of sort of uh, potential issues. I think, you know, we've gotten a chance to get to know the owners of all the BBL franchises pretty well. Uh, these are good, hardworking, earnest people who care about the sport and are really passionate about the sport. And that's a good start um, uh, to sort of any to, to sort of any investment in a league uh, And so that's really important. But I mean, it became obvious pretty quickly to us there's been a lack of investment on a commercial commercially from a centralized BVL standpoint. And if you don't have that as a league, it's very difficult for the clubs to survive and to grow. And so we knew that we had, you know, actual. I mean, we have capital that we that, that we could invest, and in that that first piece, just having capital to build a a sort of competent centralized management team uh, to help drive uh, sort of the overall you know quality of the presentation of the sport and uh, drive engagement and deliver uh, compelling marketing message, and eventually uh, generate interest from sponsors and broadcasters. Uh, seemed to be like sort of an obvious thing that was missing. Um, some really good people centrally, Andy Webb is fantastic. He's got the trust of everybody in the clubs. He works incredibly hard, Claire. But really, there hasn't been enough sort of people centralizing and centralized at the BBL level. And we think that's probably the most important thing. That's where you're going to get your highest ROI, which is really, really high quality people. Uh, and so that was one sort of very clear thing that we could help with. The second thing that I think is is helpful is just the 777 overall. Investment strategy, it almost uniquely suits us to investing in a league. Um, so, there are a few things about us that are kind of unique. You know, we're not a fund, so we're not returning to capital back every five years. So, we have a very long term investment outlook in everything that we do. And we recognize that transforming the BBL um, is going to be a longer term. Sort of the investment assets, so we're uniquely suited there. And then the second thing we've got that's unique is we've got this large uh, sort of shared services platform centrally at 777 that allows us to grow and build businesses alongside uh, the sort of uh, other shareholders and entrepreneurs that are involved in those businesses. Uh, and so we think you know that central those centralized services can help scale the league. In addition to that, and a key part of those centralized services is the people we have at 777. So within our sports media and entertainment practice, you know, we've got really high quality um, uh, professionals, both on the investment side, myself, Adam Wise, Tyler, have been really kind of co-leading this investment on the investment side, but also on the operating side. We our current sort of we uh, Sam Klein was a formal CCO of Vice Media. Um, we brought in John Lusky as an operating partner who uh, ran uh, who ran, who was like an operating person in the general counsel for translation media. Um, we have a JV with a really that that we have a JV with a really powerful sort of agency that can help us deliver those marketing messages to Uh, and and needs to every single portfolio company. We've got a growing sports portfolio that includes actual content delivery. We own a company called Liquid Light that develops um, YouTube for celebrity stars that built the YouTube platform for celebrities like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Adrian Garcia, Chris Rock. They've done work with the Los Angeles Acres, the University of Arizona Football Club. On the actual distribution side, we own a company called Fanatis that acquires international broadcasting rights of Uh, sort of sports leagues all over the world and then streams them on their OTT platform to expats. So if I'm an Argentinian-American and I want to watch my local soccer club uh, play, professional soccer club play, I can do that. Um, And that's a vertically integrated platform that includes an OTT label platform called Nunchi. uh, So we can actually do it on distribution. And then we have a number of really interesting... Portfolio companies um, uh, within the sports media entertainment space. Teams and leagues. We made an investment in Genoa. Uh, we have an investment in Sevilla, um, and we're looking to acquire those assets altogether. And we think that combination of things allows us to sort of manage those port, the, manage that portfolio in a way that should be accretive to every single investment that we have. Uh, And so we're really excited about uh, sort of leveraging all of those portfolio companies to deliver value to sponsors and to deliver value to broadcasters and ultimately fans uh, and supporters of of whichever sport that we're invested in. So I think we're just kind of uniquely suited in terms of how we work operationally to kind of add intellectual capital in addition to actual physical capital uh, and leverage our portfolio uh, and our unique business model uh, to sort of accelerate um, the to sort of accelerate change um, in what we think is a long term but a huge investment opportunity.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously the way, I, I guess, it would be interesting just to hear f- from your standpoint how private equity works. You know, for people that don't know, um, yeah. you know, you're obviously a fund, I assume that you've got private investors that put money into that fund, which you then manage to give them a better return than they might get from trading on the markets or whatever else, which means that I would assume, and again, correct me everything where I'm, where I'm wrong, but you've got obviously yeah. people that are expecting a return and the way that they would get that return is you exiting at some point and selling? I yeah. think. So, what is the exit strategy? And then, when you're talking about the long termness of this, like what sort of scales are we talking about? Are we talking about 15 years? Are we talking about 20 years? Are we talking about longer than that? Like, how long do you think it will be to make the BBL a credible league, the second best basketball league in the world?
1: Yeah. I, so, the, the, to answer the second question, how long do you think it will be? I'm not sure I know, but I do know it's a longer term investment. And so we're a little bit different to sort of answer your first question we're different from the typical fund managers all of our capital is internally generated so we really we invest in businesses without an intention to sell them Uh, we like businesses that have the potential to generate um, sort of long, durable, sustainable cash flows, which is why we like the sports segment. Uh, once you've kind of cracked the code, you know it, you, you've got this. You know, with the media revenues and then the different ways in which sports is being monetized in sort of the new age, there's real opportunity to kind of capture those durable cash flows. So we're long-term investors. We're not a fund. It's all the firm is effectively owned by its employees. Uh, we've got we're kind of like a mini Berkshire Hathaway in the sense that we've got this large and growing balance sheet that allows us to sort of officially finance our own assets. So that means we can have a very long-term strategy. As it is to most funds that would come in, they have to return that capital immediately over five years to their LPs, and it may be more difficult for them to invest, and not necessarily, but they may be more difficult for them to invest in something, a longer-term asset like the BBL, uh, because they've got to return that capital immediately. Our, our goal is to sort of uh, collect and grow uh, a stream of sort of stable cash flows, which means that the BBL works really, really well for our investment thesis.
0: Interesting. That yeah. is a, a very different model. Yeah, go on. Sorry, carry on.
1: Well, and the other thing is, is and, and to that end, you know, we think of our Adam would say this if he was here. We think of ourselves of uh, as business builders as opposed to as sort of investors. So a lot of the kind of things we do is we look for opportunities where we think they're a massive greenfield investment, where uh, this sort of intellectual capital that we have in-house, we can lend them to accelerate the growth of those businesses. Uh, and so that just, it, it, it just makes us kind of unique in the marketplace and, and really makes us suited for, again, something that might take longer than five years in order for us to invest. So if your question is, is this gonna be, you know, we, we can own this thing for 15, 20 years. Um, I think we've got a real long-term commitment to business, to building businesses like this.
0: Interesting. The uh so when you when you're talking about like the 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 league like you coming in i assume before you made that investment well i don't know but did you make a plan of like okay this is what we're going to be doing over the next what this is this the initial say first six months to 12 months this is what we're going to be doing year two year three like what does that plan look like what are the immediate priorities that you know the fans can expect to see in the next sort of let's say 12 months
1: yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, no, we have a, a very, very detailed plan that we've worked on um, uh, in collaboration with the board and all of the clubs. So this was really a collective uh, sort of strategy. I would say probably the, the sort of immediate uh, changes that you'll see, and the most important thing is the quality of the people. And so we plan on hiring a CEO um, who will then build out his team. Uh, whose sort of capabilities uh, match our ambitions for the British basketball League so that's going to be incredibly important uh, and we brought on CAA which is the large uh, sort of uh, multifaceted um, sports agency that uh, uh, that has a search firm and a number of other really unique assets that um, uh, within the sort of sports, sports market uh, uh, that they're going to help us identify and hire that kind of CEO and senior management team. So that's probably the, the biggest priority. A second priority that I think it, um, that's not too far away from that is, you know, we want to, we're building a digital transformation strategy. And so there are all of, and we want to make sure that, you know, that digital transformation project is accessible to all of the different basketball stakeholders. Um, so that, Uh, all the basketball folks, all the different basketball stakeholders are all in one pool. We understand who our customer base is. We have a centralized database and CRM to allow our executive team to deliver the marketing messages and deliver the content necessary to sort of grow and expand the league. And so, um, that digital transformation process is incredibly important. We've got, I think probably the, one of the crown jewels of 777, we've got a large sort of. uh, Digital transformation team internally that the BBL is going to be able to sort of utilize to execute on that strategy overall, uh, and so you know I think that's going to be a really sort of important uh, important part of our investment. Uh, and then the third thing is just uh, working closely with the clubs to help the individual clubs grow. Um, so we're thinking about things like uh, whether it, whether it's think helping them think about new investment so they can continue to grow their clubs and build out build out their their franchises. Uh, uh, and, and, and really helping to focus that investment on things that deliver real ROI. Because really, there's a lack of revenue at the league and at the club level that makes it difficult to build out everything else the way you want to. So we really want to give, make sure those individual clubs have the commercial uh, the commercial capabilities internally to kind of grow and build out build out their fan base. And then I think we really want to improve the broadcast production quality of the league. That is the way, you know, that's the way we're presenting ourselves to most of our audiences. And so I think those are probably the most important things over the next 12 months. Do
0: you see TV playing a huge part in that or do you prefer to sort of own your own platform do it digitally?
1: You know, I think that, you know, at the moment we have to focus on building are, you know, obviously we have a great partnership with Sky Sports, which is fantastic. And um, I think that that's really important to have that broadcast product. That broadcast uh, is really important in terms of gri- driving awareness and growth. Uh, we want to support that with investments in digital marketing and sort of uh, helping to, to grow the audience beyond what just being on Sky is. Um, but yeah, there are different ways in which you can, you know, we ultimately think about these businesses as content businesses and content is really important. And we're fortunate in that, you know, more and more people um, are sort of uh, consuming content in different ways beyond linear television. Uh, and we think if we grow that, we grow that audience um, in those platforms where people work, and it just so happens basketball works really well for those platforms, um, just in the way that it's played with the highlights, etc. Uh, if we grow that audience, grow that platform, then the broadcast, the the growing growth in broadcast will happen sort of naturally.
0: One of the things that I've I've heard repeatedly from anybody that has dealt with with you guys is just the scale of ambition is massive, and you know one of my sort of personal bugbears with British basketball is I always feel that people dream way too small. And what they're trying to do is just on such a small scale that we need more big-time thinkers uh, within, within the game. When we talk about sort of dreaming big, thinking big, and the scale of, of your ambition, you know, me and you both know that 7000000 million isn't going to get you very far, and you're going to need a lot more money. And one of the interesting things I, I found about the release uh, that you put out was that you were hoping that this investment is actually going to attract other investors. When you talk about the scale of what you're trying to do, like, how much money do you think it's going to take? In an ideal scenario, how much money do you think you need to raise um, to really, you know, light a fire underneath this thing?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think, it, I mean, there are different, you know, we are, we've obviously modeled out the different potential outcomes. I think, you know, I don't know if a specific number kind of makes a lot of sense. But I think it's important to reiterate that we are long-term investors. And so we're going to be there for the long run in terms of continuing to build the BBL uh, far beyond that. And I think there's a recognition amongst all the shareholders that, you know, there's going to be investment beyond the 7 million pounds. Um, and then to the extent that we can help those individual clubs continue to grow, you know, we're, we're going to do everything we can to, can to do that as well by hopefully attracting new investors to have build out new franchises and then current franchises that are looking for investment in order to kind of grow their commerciality. We'd love to sort of help them do that as well. Uh, and so that's super important to us. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of your, your your prior point about the ambition, you know, Josh and Steve, the founding partners of 777, I've always been, you know, it's almost, um, you know, we tend to look for building, for home runs, and that's what we're looking for with this investment. Um, and so uh, I think a lot of folks may think of us as maybe naive or a little bit crazy. Um, but, you know, you know, we're in this... We're in this business, and I think, I think our leadership's perspective is we're here to make an impact. Um, And uh, and you know, especially the way in which content is consumed and the reality of content, you just have no idea, um, you know, when that when that something will do that will just completely change the trajectory of the sport. Um, And I think, uh, I think we're going to try to do the basic stuff right. Get the right building blocks done, and we may get lucky, but the goal, and then then we we think we'll get lucky over time. Uh, If you just do the right stuff correctly, and you're in a sport that is just, I mean, it's such a compelling sport. It's just so, it's unique to where, to sort of other sports in the UK market, and I love all sports, and I want all of them to be successful, but again, it works really well for the way in which people consume content now, on the devices they consume content. Uh, it's got this really interesting um, intersectionality with, uh, or, or, uh, uh, or relationship with overall culture, um, and so we think it's just a, a massive, massive opportunity, and, and I think I think our ambitions for the league is to sort of capitalize on that opportunity.
0: You said that, that people kind of think you're crazier and, and, and all of that. Like, how do you feel like you've been received within the British basketball community by the people that you've dealt with, you know, the fans that you've come across or the owners that you've come across, the, the people within the teams, like, you know, one of the things repeated over the years uh, is that people like to work within their silos. They're not like working together. They don't like outsiders coming to within the sport. There's a lot of politics. Have you come across mm-hmm. that? Or do you feel like you've generally managed to stay out of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, in general, see, we've managed to stay out of it. Um, you know, we got an early and somebody. You know, I think, you know, we come in and we're like guns blazing, like just ready to go, and like you know, and I'm sure everybody's a little bit taken aback. Like, okay, we, we get this, and we've we've been told that um, that there have been attempts historically, and uh, lots of people who have come in and they've just fizzled out, or they've like they have sort of lost their gumption or whatever. Um, you know, and we and so it's it, we try to reassure those share of stakeholders that you know, we're in this for the long term. We're pre- we're passionate about this. This is this is an investment opportunity and an opportunity to do good because sports has a positive impact on lots of communities. And this sport in particular has a positive impact on communities uh, that are historically, you know, sort of pushed aside um, and underinvested in. Uh, and you know, we care passionately about those issues. I you know, my own personal story. Um, Sort of lends itself to that. So, you know, I think I think that folks may may be taken aback a little bit by our perspective, but in a lot of ways, we've just, we've discovered we're pushing against the open door an open door. I think most of the clubs recognize um, that uh, that investment is a positive thing. Uh, most of the clubs recognize that there that there needs to be sort of a change. That you need a strong centralized league that is commercial in order to drive revenue outside of your ticket sales being overly dependent on ticket sales is a very difficult business proposition. Um, And so in a lot of ways, I think people want to see the change and they're enthusiastic to see it. Um, You know, we've spent a lot of time talking to those individual clubs. Um, Adam and I went on a tour of the UK in the summer and we went and talked to every single person. We did an off-season big sort of event where we just kind of talked about our plans and how we wanted to grow. Uh, And so it did take a lot of time you know, a lot of just starting to build a relationship with the individual club owners and shareholders and stakeholders. And our goal is to strengthen and deepen those relationships Um, uh, so that, you know, we can, because a lot of this is about trust. Um, So whatever. And the one thing is for us is like whatever political situations that you're, that you're concerned about is like we're, we're never a part of those fights, right? We're just the guys that show up who maybe are these super zealous uh, Americans with a bunch of cash uh, trying to do things. But we're we're just not a part of those fights. I don't really, I have no interest in being it. Like the sport is too small for everybody to be fighting. And hopefully this is a galvanizing force across all of the stakeholders. And they all get super excited with us. And they all say, okay, this commitment, and hopefully we prove ourselves. And this commitment means... All the other stakeholders say, okay, I'm all in. And that's the only way the sport's going to grow. Um, I'm just not interested in internal politics. I only want the sport to grow. I think that's 777's position.
0: Do you think it requires collaboration outside of just the BBL as well? You know, I know there's a collaborative agreement being worked on at the moment. You know, and when you talk about sort of the involvement of the federations, the roles that the federations have to play, the national leagues, the academies, the junior development programs, like, you know, in, in that release it wasn't just about the bbo it was talking about this is a uh, you know a, a pro um, an investment to to fund the grassroots all the way through from from the bottom to the top uh, you know how do you see that working you know, when you talk about sort of involving all the other stakeholders and, and trying to i guess come together with one clear narrative for the sport uh, rather than sort of all these different fractions that are working in their own silos
1: yeah i mean i think our perspective is we have to deliver if we deliver on our promises and we deliver on our plan, um, then people will want to come join. Um, and so we spend less time. We, we want to build. We, we've spent time building those relationships with those different stakeholders, and we think that's important. But at the end of the day, we just have to execute our plan. If we execute on our plan, um, and people see money coming into the league, commercial money coming into the league, hopefully that means all of the other conversations um around the different basketball england uk sports sport england all of the different BPF. hopefully that means that there's a catalyst here to do something with us and i think it's a unique opportunity like look my hope is that you know the sport will finally start getting the funding that it that it deserves that these kids um who have been neglected get the funding that they deserve um in order to because like every kid deserves a shot um every kid deserves a shot at participating in sports uh, whatever sport that they're excited about to participate in because it has so many positive impact such a positive impact um, and basketball is uniquely positioned to, to, to focus on that to, to, to have an impact on again underserved underrepresented communities um, and so you yeah, know we want to be a partner we want to be a part of this with everybody else um, and we want to just sort of reduce the barriers to playing uh, increase the access to the a- access to facilities uh, improve the overall um, you know, you know you know uh, like encourage our our young British athletes to sort of look at basketball as a real career opportunity. So its it's for us again, it's about let's execute on our plan, let's focus on that. Let's continue to build trust and build relationships with all of the stakeholders. Um, and I think the you know, uh, I think the rest of it will come. People will come afterwards.
0: Your, your sort of first involvement with British Basketball was obviously your investment into the London Lions. Was that done yeah. when when you first made that investment? Was that done with the with a view on we're probably going to end up investing in the BBL as well, or, or was it a case of you invested in the London Lions, realized that maybe there were some limiting factors within the league, and actually you're better off just owning the whole thing? And so then the conversation started with uh, with the investment into the into the league.
1: Yeah, I think very very quickly after we invested in the Lions, we realized that. To some extent, the ceiling for the London Lions was the commerciality of the league, and the ceiling for all the clubs was the commerciality of the league. And then that's when the conversations started with the board of directors, who uh, with the board of directors. So I think that you know um, you, you can just—it's pretty easy to, to look at the history of folks coming into the league, spending a bunch of money for their clubs. Um, and not thinking about like whether or not it's sustainable. And I think it's harder to be sustainable unless you have a sustainable domestic competition. Um, and so I think we realized really, really early that we needed to, we needed to be a part of kind of driving the league in the right commercial direction. Cause at the end of the day, we need clubs to play. Uh, we need clubs that have, they need clubs to play, uh, play against, um, uh, we need those clubs to be sustainable and financially, you know, you know, financially sustainable. And we we need we need new investors coming in to build clubs and markets that make a lot of sense um, from a basketball standpoint. So I think we realized pretty quickly we can't do this alone.
0: When you just to, for clarity on one of the sort of details is that you invested seven million for forty five percent stake. But then mm-hmm. does your stake in the Lions then take your ownership in the league to a majority stake over 50 percent hmm okay so you do now, right. yeah okay so you now have a majority yeah. stake in the league so essentially you you control it So in in terms of like how the actual decision making works um and like how does that like you decide okay this is what we're going to do you have a meeting with the with the rest of the board and ultimately because you have the controlling stake they actually can't can't uh
1: well it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't quite work that way okay um And so we—it's really a partnership. Uh, It's really more of a partnership than whatever. There are there are ways in which the governance um, ensures that the clubs and all the other shareholders have a significant say within the organization. Um, But I think the ultimate goal is for is to hire that best in class management team centralized at the at the bridge basketball level, the BBL level and then provide them with the resources they need to sort of grow the league to grow the league. Uh, And and then we all, uh, the rest of the board, which includes representation from the individual clubs, um, sort of help to provide that strategic support uh, in order to kind of grow the league. So we're more of like a, a corporate. So the idea is the CEO and his or her staff. Uh, will then sort of start to, to make those commercial decisions and the buyer decisions to improve the game.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine right now you've probably got to be a lot more hands-on than, than you want to be just because of the way that the league is currently set up. And then the idea is that you bring in the staff that you can then kind of take a step back and you let them do their thing.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's right.
0: That's, I mean, that's um, So what is your stake now in the league with the London line stake as well?
1: But So you're right. You were right. It's the
0: 50%. It's 50%, not 51
1: Yeah, not 51
0: okay and then so the and the other 50 percent is made up with the, from the rest of the clubs
1: individual clubs correct
0: there's no other investment from anywhere there's else. no other investment okay yeah no. interesting um yeah like it's funny you know at the start you you referred to the german league and the australian league i interviewed the commissioner from um the australian league and yeah. uh, jeremy loliga uh, so early this season because after doing a little bit of research a few people told me to kind of look into it and and I realized there's so many parallels between um, the Australian yeah. League and what the situation is here, where they kind of had a heyday, then it went sort of went into the, really the dark ages, and it was kind of slowly on the come up, um, and they've completely turned turn the thing around. And in similar similar fashion to kind of your situation, where um, you know the, the guy I can't, I can't remember his name, but he ended up taking over one of the clubs and then realised that he actually needs to just take over the league um, and then got a controlling stake in the league and then they could kind of make decisions. And, and what they've done since there has obviously been you know, ridiculously impressive. Um, and Australia has all the same things going for it that the UK does in terms of culturally, you know, for Americans that are coming over, it's not quite as much of a culture, a culture shock um, because of the language, especially in the UK. I think there is even more um, familiarity um, because I think we do, we do draw a lot from, from America. Um, yeah. so it becomes you guys have to call one. Say that again, Sorry.
1: You guys have Chipotle.
0: <laughs> we have Chipotle. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's a very attractive proposition, especially for, for young guys. Um, we've seen Austra- Australia have got this, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, Next Stars. Is it Next Stars? Next Stars, Next yep. Stars program, yep. mm-hmm. um, where they bring in potential draft prospects. And we've kind of seen you allude to that a little bit. Like, what, what are your thoughts on that, potentially bringing in guys that don't want to go to college um, and signing them in, in, in the UK, in the BBL, for for a year or so before they declare for the draft?
1: I think that's a, look, I think that's a great idea. Um, we want to pump as much talent in the BBL. We want to do two things. We want to pump as much talent in the BBL. And you're right to say that you know, the UK is, you know, has some really interesting advantages to other kind of places in terms of attracting top basketball talent. Um, we generally think that there is this massive, it's really interesting, the NBA, all these NBA players are incredible athletes. And, um, and I'll start with sort of the international stuff. All these NBA players are incredible athletes. But once you kind of get beyond the top 200 players, that next 200 NBA players, 250—I don't know how many players in the league—and then the next thousand, the difference in terms of the actual talent isn't like that significant, right? It's 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 you know, the right fit with the right system and all of these other things. And then the issue is, is you keep getting the G leagues become incredibly competitive, uh, and you keep getting new players coming in, younger and younger, coming into the league every year, and so there's this sort of really interesting arbitrage opportunity. Um, for, uh, for, uh, sort of American players to consider the UK as their, um, uh, sort of as the, at the their European rookie season to come to a place that's familiar. It's even closer than Australia. Um, the, the, the language is similar. The cultural differences are not, there aren't that many dissimilar uh, things. You're sort of in a, in a, in a place where, you know, like sort of laws and you know it's just sort of like a real country um and so it's an easier place to kind of whatever so the ability if we can build we believe if we can build a um you know and the bbl's already done some of this in terms of getting these players but if we can build a sustainable league then we can continue to attract those players this can be a top destination for those players and there are enough players in the world that you know australia still gonna have great players and other people are gonna have great players the second thing that i think is interesting and this is why the community and the academy stuff is so This is so important, you know, where is there, if you just look at the demographics of the folks in the UK, whether uh, it's sort of Eastern, A, there's a lot of people from countries where basketball is the second biggest sport for them, Um, so you've got that. So there's a natural fan base. But then if you look at the demographics, it really works, whether it's Eastern Europeans, 6'10", Eastern Europeans, if it all seem like they can shoot, the West African cop population, all these populations that sort of traditionally do well at elite basketball competitions, they're all there. Um, so one of the important things is if we can build the community stuff can start getting some facilities in place and people get really a lot of court time, like there's no reason why the U.K., Shouldn't be one of the top places that produces top basketball players and athletes, um, but it's kind of a, you know it, it's the more we can we can build the commerciality of the league centrally, um, you know the the more attractive it's going to be for those players, the more exciting the proposition is, the more interested young people are going to come and want to join and play our game. Um, so yeah we think it's a it's a it's a huge opportunity from that
0: standpoint how do you see um the bbl's role in terms of t- uh developing young british talent like at the moment it's very i would say it's very separate i think that um yeah. you know most bbl clubs though though i mean some do but i would say a lot of them don't uh they kind of have junior programs but it's more like ticking a box in terms of providing an opportunity to play rather than trying to develop talent to then play On their roster and play on their team in the future Um, but do you think that is a role that the BBL should be taking on or do you think that actually that's more should be separate grassroots clubs that as it currently is and sort of driven by um, the federations as opposed to the professional league
1: I just think that basketball is too small a sport for everyone at the in the UK at the moment relative especially relative to its potential for everyone, not to—we're all stakeholders in this thing. Um, the BBL has to care about this. Um, it has to care about this. From if you talk to sponsors, they—you know—they have to care about this from a number, from a commercial perspective. They have to care about this because, uh, in the long term, having high-quality British players and producing high-quality British players is sort of the lifeblood of the league. So one of the things we want to do is build a league that's commercial enough that folks' number one option is staying in their country to play if they if they choose to, or, that, or that's a really viable option. Um, and so you can't do that until you build like really robust community programs and et cetera. The second thing on the commercial part is a lot of sponsors um, are going to want to see over time more and more kind of British players coming out of the UK. So everybody wins if the next Giannis Atsakopo comes from Manchester because then the sponsors are going to say, wow, that's interesting. And they're going to start to to invest and develop and develop sort of invest in the sort of academies and et cetera in, in, in Manchester all of a sudden. So I think it's really important for the BBL for its own commercial valuability long term Um, to do its part in helping to develop those players. I don't think anybody's trying to, like, take over what other folks do. Um, It's just about, like, we all got to think about working collaboratively because if there are better basketball players at the youth level who are coming out, the quality of the league is better at a more efficient cost for the individual clubs. Um, It's a more compelling basketball product. You're going to draw more fans. You're going to grow more sponsorships. Uh, and so, like, we should really care and be a part of it. Like, to me, it's all hands on deck here. Just, It's just too small um, for anybody to not be working collaboratively with each other and holding each other accountable with their individual goals. When we talk about um, sort of youth basketball
0: in the UK, and then I, I think also the crossover into, into culture, I'd be interested to kind of hear your thoughts on, on British basketball culture, like what you think it is, whether you think it exists, kind of what you've seen in, in your research, um... As a, as an outsider, kind of looking in.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's interesting. I, there's like there's this like really incredibly passionate fan base at the BBL. Like they're they're like super into it. They're plugged in. They listen to you. They're all they're all over it. And like. We love those fans. Those people are great, uh, and we want them to, to be a part of this journey. And then there's the second piece, which is this huge group of people who have no idea what British basketball is. And so we've got to go out and reach out to them and tell them that there's a product out there that's exciting and unique and fun and and, 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 and to come, kind of come join the gang. And so the, I think that that's um, a really... Sort of unique, sort of opportunity in general for us, which is which is to sort of grow the game in general, um, so that that culture is broader. My you know, my overall sense of the of the culture it, it primarily comes from sort of the London Lions and the community programs that the London Lions are associated with and affiliated with, um, and you know you know it's it's uh, and, and within the Lions it's uh, it's young, it's diverse, it's uh, it's. Uh, it's young and it's diverse, which are two markets that every single sort of commercial sponsor wants to tap into and, be ex- and are excited about about joining. It's connected to um, you know, to hip-hop culture. Uh, it's connected to fashion and talent. Like, even if you look at the British players in the U.K., they remind you of the British players in America in terms of their connection to that culture. And then I think there's this other really cool thing for me as, as a black person. Um, uh, this is another really cool thing in terms of... Uh, sort of black British culture is just kind of really cool and unique uh, and it's it, it, in some ways it's really similar to sort of American culture but in other ways it's not um, I think that's that's really such a cool thing and then I just think that there's and then beyond that there's just huge op- the number of like again Europeans a number of people who live in the UK where basketball is their number one or number two sport is just pretty significant um, and so it's about tapping into that broader culture and I think that broader culture is going to be very very attracted to what the core basketball culture is here, at least from what I've seen in London.
0: Yeah, it's super weird. I always say like there is, there's like almost lots of separate different cultures within British basketball. So like you have like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd I'd actually say, obviously, I think London is probably a little bit different um, compared to to other places. But in general, I'd say the average BBL fan trends toward being older um, and being probably a lot more white. Uh, And then, you know, as you go down, then you've got like players, interestingly, I feel like a lot of the players especially the younger players are not BBL fans they don't follow the BBL um but they love playing the game but they won't pay to go and buy a ticket necessarily and then you've got like NBA fans who love the NBA live and breathe the NBA will stay up all night to watch the NBA love basketball but have zero interest in British basketball the domestic game um and so yeah it's almost like the, the challenge is connecting all of those to sort of come together to then come around it because the, the the interest in basketball is there it's just whether or not uh, they will congregate around British basketball which I think has always historically been the challenge people just don't know it exists Um, which I think kind of ties into sort of the, the next part of, of all of this is the Great Britain National Team Programme. Um, and we kind of saw in, in the release there was mention of, of the GB National Team Programme the importance of having a successful national, national team programme. Um, and I'd be interested to kind of hear like what your thoughts are on that and, and how you see the BBL playing a role in the growth of the Great Britain National, national Team.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're currently having conversations about that now, I mean, where we have been having those conversations about how do we, how do we sort of enhance the the product? Like, look, there are you know a lot of ways in which um, the BBL um, is you know has a lot of untapped potential, and we can grow, grow the game and grow the sport. I think the challenge is it's incumbent upon us, and then there are things where. Um, the BBL is uniquely positioned to do certain things. Right? Like most of the clubs know how to throw events, they know how to throw a basketball event, they know how to throw a basketball game, uh, which I think they're sort of uniquely positioned to sort of do that. And so, to the extent that you know the BBL or its, its member clubs can do that, I think that's going to have a, a huge, significant, and positive impact. Um, and then our goal is if we can prove that we have a really interesting commercial model and that. We can by building that sort of centralized really high quality management team um you know we think that there's opportunity to sort of monetize for sort of everyone involved uh to sort of monetize the gb product uh in a way that'll draw in you know that that'll kind of be that'll augment um uh, the sort of budgets that the gb backswell currently has to work with uh and so that's the which i think is going to be really important there needs to be a commercial strategy um and a commerciality alongside that government funding and my guess is is if the more we do that the more excited folks are going to be in general about coming in um, and i think that that's uh i think that those are the two ways in which the bbl can be incredibly helpful
0: do you think it's more important for do you think for basketball in the uk do you think it's more important to have mm-hmm. a strong national team or a strong professional league
1: that's interesting I, I, I to me it's kind of both if you if you you know eventually you need um, your British stars to that national team eventually you need a lot of them to say you know what I want to play at home um, and if they do that if more of them do that then that means more of them are going to be available for your GB international competitions um, you know when I when I want I mean the to me, the NBA, you know, the NBA fills up all of the sort of Olympic teams and 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 the FIFA teams, um, and so uh, you know, and, and and that those come from a really strong league. Um, I think the BBL has a disproportionate responsibility relative to everyone else to kind of drive the commercial the commerciality of the league because once you do that, then it becomes much much easier to retain those British players. And if they're already home, it's easier for them to play for their national team. And I imagine that a lot of them, you know, when I talk to them, that's what they want. I've talked to several of them. That's what they want to do. They want to play for their country. Um, But if we if we build the BBL into something that's really exciting commercially, then you know that'll just have an incredibly uh, positive uh, positive impact on sort of GB basketball.
0: On the topic of British basketball uh, talent, British basketball talent, I have to ask this question. Because it's something I guess if I have a criticism, it would be it would be this that the London mm-hmm. Lions men's team in Europe uh, have has really struggled to play homegrown talent. We haven't seen British guys get minutes really on the men's side where well, you can trust that with the with the women's team. Um, it's obviously centred around British talent, and you see British talent playing the majority of the minutes and starring in those roles. From from I guess from your standpoint as a as an owner, like is there a disappointment that British players haven't played a bigger role on the men's team? Do you think that's because? ultimately they're not at that level yet um you haven't had the guys that you want to have or like what would kind of be your rationale for it
1: well you know i'm not i'm not the i'm not that's a better question for our G- gm and our coaches um but look no i mean like we have players that um like we're, we're proud of all of our british players we, we, we assign them all for a reason because we think they can all contribute to playing at sort of um, at the european level unfortunately we've had injuries to sort of are two kind of star British players um, who have missed a lot of the season, both the BBL and the European competitions. And I think it's, un- it, you, you know, and injuries happen and sort of bad luck there. Um, but I think those two could contribute, trem- could have contributed tremendously uh, to whatever. And I, I believe, fond- like, I fundamentally believe that we'd be in a much better position if those guys were healthy and available. So some of this is sort of bad luck, um, to, be, to be candid. And then some of it is... You know a lot of the you know this is why it's so important to this investment is so important to the bbl if we can actually build commerciality at the league level a lot of the top players who are playing somewhere else you know uh, you know we i mean we played against uh, one of the guys at baxter is a british born player um you know their players you know obviously playing in asia and if the league is 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 commercial enough um and can drive enough revenue that the that can help and, and build a, uh, and, and help the clubs drive enough revenue. Then we can keep those players and you get more and more of those top players there. Um, you know, I think, you know, the, the, there's, a, there's a broader responsibility, though, too. It's like we need to develop more British basketball players. Uh, we need more community programs. We need more access to facilities in court time. We need to make sure that all the coaching staff is as good, if not the best coaching staff in Europe. And if we could do all of those things, then there'll be, uh, you know, an embarrassment of riches, um, uh, and we get more and more uh, sort of GB-born players, uh, kind of or, or yeah, GB-born players kind of playing for, playing at the top elite level European competition. Because in a lot of ways, we're kind of ham, everybody is kind of hamstrung because the really, really, you know, you, there's so many that are not playing at home, and we want to make sure that we can bring as many home as possible. And then at the end of the day, we've got to create more top. We're going to just continue to create more top-level basketball players
0: from the UK. With the Lions, you haven't been shy about, you know, this massive ambition of, of competing in Europe and, and ideally playing at the highest level, of, uh, level in Europe. You know, we've kind of heard mentions of the EuroLeague and that being the aspiration. When you talk about sort of, I guess, the importance of European competition and having British teams competing in it, like, why do you think it is such a key piece? Why can't we just focus on having a strong domestic league?
1: Well, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a few things. Um... If we want to become, the BBL wants to become uh, the preferred destination for, look, American players for all European competition, for <laughs> all over the world, it's still, I mean, the U.S. still develops, although that's changing because there are more and more players from Europe who are, who are top players in the NBA. I mean, Luka Doncic, yeah, yeah lots of top the top players. Whatever. But America still develops a very, very high percentage of, of like, the top basketball players in the world, uh, and they make up a substantial part of basically every top european team um and so that's always going to be a core uh you know uh that's always going to be a sort of a core part of it um sorry i i lost my tra- my track in terms of the question can you say it one more time so just saying so like, why,
0: why why is europe so important like why don't we just focus on yeah. having a strong domestic league why why do you think that the, the, the european piece for a team competing in europe is so important
1: well, I think it, well. The first thing is to, in order to attract some of those top American players, which improves or whatever, you need to, you need to, and to continue to attract them, you need to have that as an option. So that's like just an important sort of option in general. That's the first thing. The second part is. There's an element of national pride that I think kind of galvanizes folks um, towards their sports teams. And you can see that in other kind of sports all over the world. And so if there are if British teams that are playing at that elite competition, that just elevates the, the game. And then the third part is in general, with you mentioned this thing, there's a bunch of, uh, our, uh, one of our operating um Guys, uh, this guy's a great guy, uh, does a lot of like the head of basketball operations, Jason Henley. He says there's a lot of basketball snobs in the UK, is how he talks about them. So, a lot of people who perceive, whether that's rightly or wrongly, and I actually think that um, the league is much better than people think it is. That's just True, and I think people come in and they expect something, and it's much better than people think it is. Now, there's obviously lots of room to grow, but there are lots of people who are kind of basketball snobs where they want to watch sort of elite basketball competition. And I think the more we can get, we can get British teams playing in European competition, that sort of elevates the overall sense of wow, like the UK is sort of at the top of the league, and that attracts more fans. It has like this cumulative, really positive. Um, sort of impact, and then the third part is if we want to attract um, sort of deep-pocketed, not the deep-pocketed owners. Uh, they're going to want to play at the highest, <laughs> the highest competition, right? Like, um, and so if we want to build clubs in, you know, whatever, uh, there've been rumors about in Birmingham, like, uh, or uh, you know, if we want to encourage people like Bristol who are building their own facility, etc., um, that ability to kind of, they're going to, they're going to have the ambition to play at the very top level in, in Europe, and that's what we want. We want everybody to be interested in playing at the very top level. So there's no reason why, uh, and so, and so I think that's going to, that's just. To me, it's fundamentally important about raising the overall how people view the British Basketball League in a lot of ways, I think um, unfairly, um, encouraging sort of a, a sense of civic identity and connection to British basketball players playing in a league competition. Uh, and uh, and encouraging sort of top Americans who are part of every every at the moment part of every successful team encouraging them in in Europe encouraging them to think of UK as, as a top basketball destination which again increases the the the
0: attractiveness of the product is the Euroleague the aspiration with the London Lions you
1: I mean, know i think that the London Lions uh, aspirations and our hope is is that most of the clubs, if not all the clubs, aspirations should be to play in elite level competition. Um, uh, I think um, I think that's that's incredibly important. Uh, whether that means, and then you know whatever that means, and there's all the there's so much going on in terms of how people are moving. In which direction, but you know uh, whether it's with FIBA and the EuroLeague and you know the four competitions they manage, what's what, um, you know, uh, and so our perspective is whatever shakes out, we want to be. We think you know, sort of London and the UK in general is a really interesting market. It should be a very attractive and exciting market to Europe in general, whether you're FIBA, EuroLeague. You really should care about the UK as a market because it's such a large and massive economy with a really passionate sports fan sports base. Um, um, and our goal is just compete at the highest level, create a great, a great, entertaining product uh, that has commercial viability to it. To it, and whichever, whatever happens in Europe, we want to be a part of it. Um, and that's our that's our ambition for clubs in the BBL, not just the Lions.
0: Do you think that there is any potential conflict of interest with you being owner of the league and owner of a club
1: as well? No. Uh, so <laughs> I think it's a legitimate it's a legitimate question. We get asked that all the time. Um, I think from our perspective, yeah. As I as I said before, the 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 London Lions can only do as well as the British Basketball League. Um, the the two are so inextricably linked. It's 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 you know, you, you, you just in ways that like, I don't think I, I thought about it initially. initially. Um, and so so that's the first thing. The second thing that's unique is again, we're a long-term investor. Uh, and so we're interested, we're always gonna be interested in what is in the long-term interest of growing the BBL? Because we have a lot more dollars being spent on the BBL than on the London Lions, right? There's a big, much a big gap in terms of investment dollars. Uh, and so ultimately, um, we're incentivized to do the right to, to make sure we're making the right long-term decision for the growth of the sport. And if the BBL grows um, and if you know all the other basketball stakeholders grow, then the London Lions are going to benefit benefit from that.
0: The other thing that cut- and there's
1: also there's there's one more thing is there are a lot of things in terms of governance that kind of create where there are conflicts if there's governance there that create the thing that's why it's so important to have the right management team in place empower them to make these decisions and you know they'll make their decisions on their own
0: yeah you mentioned their other franchises and you know that's been sort of the key thing that everyone's been wondering is like you know in the in the, in the press release it was uh, four high quality franchises in, within the next five years you know since then mm-hmm. we've seen Birmingham sort of declare their interest we've seen um, Reading Rockets have, have sort of reapplied uh, I believe Univer- um, Gloucester have obviously they said last year that they're going to be making the bid for, for this season if you were to put money on who you think the four franchises will be or rather than what the cities would be like what the key cities are that you're going to be targeting uh, for those four franchises who are they uh, where do you see them coming from
1: yeah i mean like i think some of the franchises that you talked about make a lot of sense i think it obviously makes sense for the birmingham franchise is the most obvious one just because of the size of the city and um the population all that other stuff um But, you know, we hope that, you know, other folks, you know, there are lots of, I mean, there are lots of places where we've thought about, I mean, should there be a team in Ireland? Should there be a team in in Wales? I mean, I think that would be a really cool thing. Is there room for another team in Scotland? Uh, You know, um, there are places where, uh, you know, places where there are existing football clubs. Can we get an owner to be excited about that? There are places that have a historic um, that have historically had a basketball franchise, um, Brighton. Like There's all kinds of places that are super interesting and exciting for us to have a club um, in, and we absolutely want to grow uh, the number of clubs. Our import- the important thing for us is to make sure we have the kind of owners that, um, again, owners, everything is about here's our ambition for the league. Every single person has to, be, you know, hopefully can be on board with that. And if they're, if, 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 if... If their level of ambition matches the ambition that Josh and Steve and Seven 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 have partners, and I think honestly all the s- stakeholders, the existing clubs, the the board members have for the British Basketball League, then they and they're the right people to be a part of this journey with us.
0: How big do you think the league could be? Like how much? How many franchises do you think um, the UK could s-
1: sustain in the British Basketball League? Yeah, I mean. I would, I mean, it depends. I think on on first bluff, I think sixteen is a good number, but I don't. That's I think that may that may be fourteen to sixteen, but I don't know. There are people who think it's high. I've heard people say higher. There are people who say lower. Um, I think that there are key markets that we absolutely should be in in the next four years because of the historic interest in basketball, the size of the city, um, what have you. A lot of it depends on what kind of owners come in, um, or, or who could show interest in the, in the league as we continue to grow the league. Um, and whether or not they, they're sort of all in on our vision and ambition for, for British basketball. So I think, I think that'll determine a lot of it. Um, it, it's hard to say in general, because at the moment, uh, the cup, the, the, the league is so small, um, that sometimes it feels like, well, maybe we should be thinking about fewer, fewer, fewer clubs, but, um, you know, I, think, I think from our perspective, it's, it's, it's almost the quantity of the, the clubs don't matter. You need a certain minimum number of clubs to have a, like a league so that everyone's not playing each other 15 times. But it's really about the quality of the ownership and, and having ownership that can build sustainably.
0: One of the things uh, football fans always say, or well, my friends that are football fans anyway, when I talk about basketball and talk about the BBL, uh is they ask about promotion and relegation and why is there no promotion and relegation they don't really understand sort of the franchise model um is promotion and relegation something that you have ever considered for the bbl do you think it could ever work with the bbl or do you think that it needs to stick as a franchise
1: uh franchise-based model that's a good question i mean i think initially and this is my like i think i think the club the, the sport right now is just too small. To have promotion and relegation, um, I think our goal has to be build the league up to a point where there are tons of clubs that want to get involved, and we have so many top top quality British players that want to stay in the UK, um, and so many guys from you know top players from Europe from all over the world who like want who look at this as a really viable option to 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 have their basketball careers. Once we get to that point, then we can start thinking about <laughs> relegation. Um, it, it just it just kind of feels like. You know, and it's kind of similar like, I kind of regret saying 16 was the number of franchises. let's just figure out like let's just that that may happen in 10 years or whatever let's just build the thing if we build the thing then the rest of it will take care of itself and then you'll get to a point where you are forced to think about this idea of relegation but which is not the, the sport's not not there yet to, to be adding um, yeah. you know, in the UK it's not there yet to sort of be adding adding these things
0: are you you know this is a monumental task are you ever overwhelmed with how big of a task it is
1: Yeah, <laughs> yes um in addition to like you know you know myself adam tyler we've got a number of portfolio companies that we have to we have to pay attention to and we need to buy other things uh, as well as a part of our part of our, our thing but um man like uh, so i've i've my background, did. yeah, I was investment banker for a long time. I've worked at other funds. This is like the most fun I've ever had in my life. Like this is literally a dream, a dream job. I get to like the sport I love the most. I love all sports. Like I'll watch yeah. anything. You you tell me if it's a sport, you know, like I'll watch it. I'm excited about it. Um, you know, and I, even sports that I didn't know anything about. I've been at a cricket match. It was. A ton of fun. I've watched netball games, ton of fun. Like I, I love all sports and I want to support all sports. Um, so really, yeah, kinda kinda except but basketball is is absolutely my passion. So the idea the idea that I can be a, a small part of like building you know building something really cool almost from the beginning and the scratch. And that's the unique thing at work working for 777, Like people call us private equity firm. Like we're really business builders. Yeah, we really take on, you know, we really want to build businesses and to build a basketball business like, man, that's, that's, I think, I think, I think all of us at 777 feel incredibly lucky, um, who are, who are working on this, feel incredibly lucky to be a part of trying to build this, build British basketball in the UK.
0: If this was to fail, why do you think it would fail? Like, what, what are the reasons that it won't reach the levels that you want it to
1: reach? I mean, failure is not really an option, you know, um, but I think, I mean, we're legit. This is, this group is legitimately, and this, you know, I'm saying this is everybody in Miami. It's not just, you know, sort of the folks, we don't really think about it in that way. Like, to us, like, it's going to succeed. It's just a question of the level of success that we're going to get to. And that level of success, because so much of, of basketball in the UK has been sort of it's been underfunded. It, it hasn't had the resources it needed to like sort of to sort of have a, a really high quality management team centrally, uh, and to build out a really interesting broadcast product and do all the things that like you know a lot of a lot of the things that most basketball like the basic things that leagues do, the BBL can't, hasn't been able to do so far because of a lack of resources. And so we think it's going to succeed. The question is to the level that it'll succeed. You know, um, it's about, and, and, and how successful we'll be is going to be a function of obviously, you know, us executing on our vision and our plan, like the, the base, getting the block link to blocking and tackling right. Um, and then getting the buy-in from all the other basketball stakeholders. Um, how much buy-in we can get, uh, how much co-investment, not, not, you know, sort of asking how much co-investment can we get from all the, the basketball stakeholders. Uh, I think those are the things and then you know avoiding the political issues all coming together and saying like you know like we're too small to be fighting if there is fighting and and whatever that is we all have to kind of row the same boat we all have to hold each other accountable we all have to be moving in this this, to the extent that we're moving in the same direction and making the investments collaboratively that's going to impact the level of success but to me I have no doubt that this is going to be successful
0: what have been the biggest learnings so far from from this journey? You know, coming on what probably two years, two and a half years that you've been involved with British basketball. You know, I guess what what have been the biggest surprises? Things coming in that maybe you weren't expecting that have kind of shocked you. Uh, and then what have been the biggest learnings that you're going to take forward to then sort of make sure that this BBO investment works?
1: Yeah, I mean, the biggest surprises, I think. Yeah, just. just the basketball community culture is really small um, and we really, we have to build an audience. Um, it's weird. It's such a, you know, you know, we've got some really interesting data about, and then the other part that was surprising was like how many um, sort of, yeah, we have some really interesting data that we commissioned around how many sort of black kids uh, didn't see role models like them in sport in the UK. It Just kind of was like shocking. Uh, just From an American context, it doesn't make any sense. Like you know, all my, my white friends growing up, like, you know, all their sporting heroes, most of them were black, you know, like, so there's just kind of a weird thing to kind of think about that. So I think those things kind of surprised me is like the, the, how small, how small it is. Um, uh, and again, we're passionate and excited about the existing community. Cause like, you know, whether it's Leicester fans and I've been up to Leicester to watch a game, I went up to the, whatever the fans are great. They're super enthusiastic. They're whatever, but like. Yeah, we got to do a lot more in terms of brand awareness and sort of grow the grow and grow the the sort of awareness of basketball in the UK. Um, and I think I think that that's probably the the biggest lesson I've learned is that there's a lot of work around changing the perception of basketball. I think that if you talk to the stakeholders, whoever they are, a lot of them said we've heard this before, we've heard this before, we've heard this before, um, and Uh, and I think, I think it's just about changing hearts and minds and it's about doing everything we do can do to grow that audience, um, and provide a better experience for that audience. And I think that's kind of what I've learned with the Lions. This is, this is going to be, there are great things that we can do immediately. This is going to be a lot of work. It's going to be, it's going to take time. Um, and, uh, and we're really trying to build the sport. Like it's, to me, I liken it to, you know, the MLs in the u s like soccer when I was a kid growing up it was just like not a thing, and that 's what it feels like here um, and so yeah I think that 's kind of the biggest surprise those are the biggest surprises and lessons
0: how, how do you work out which opinions to take on board seriously and integrate into your own thought process and which ones to leave out like you know with British basketball? As i'm sure you've learned everybody has an opinion everyone knows how you should be doing this and this isn't how you should do this this isn't that this isn't the right way everyone's got something to say um but of course there are people that are very experienced that are knowledgeable about what they do uh, and their opinions are valid but there are also a lot of opinions that are completely way out there so how, how do you work yeah. out which ones to take on board and which ones to disregard
1: yeah i mean i mean i think some of it you know well, the first—I the, mean—the first thing is even the bad opinions are important opinions to understand and try to rationalize. So, like, there's a, the, the, you know, I think that it's incumbent on everybody who's involved is to be as open-minded as possible because the thing hasn't worked yet. So, we all need to be open-minded, especially the things that, uh, including criticism. So, um, yeah, I've gotten criticism from folks, and you know, I'll listen. I'll take time to listen. I think Adam's the same way. Tyler's the same way. Um, same thing. Um, I just think that, uh, you know, it's just important to kind of stay open-minded, what have you. In terms of, like, how we want to build it is we want a real data-driven approach to doing it in terms of opinions. So who's been successful? How have they been successful? What are the kind of basic blocking and tackling that happen in other leagues or other clubs? Um, so Because there, there are formulas out there. Like, a lot of this, like, we don't – well, we're not we're – not, especially you know, unique. Uh, Adam would always say, oh, this is a content that happens to be basketball. Well, we understand what content did to Formula One. We can see that. So we've got to develop compelling content. And that content doesn't even necessarily have to be about basketball. It can be about culture. It can be about all these other things that are related to that. Um, we've seen what the NBL has done. We've seen what German Bundesliga has done. So there's a lot of things where you can just, where there's data and information and history out there that you can just kind of follow. Um, and we're not operating in the blind. Um, and so you can, you know, in terms of deciphering good ideas versus sort of bad ideas, it's about saying, well, there are successful models out there. Let's pick the best out of those successful models. And we spend a lot of time on figuring out what those models are. And then once we've done that and we've built the infrastructure that we need, it's about being rigorous around data. Um, and if we're rigorous around data, that's what matters. And and if we are, if we're open-minded enough to let that data make, determine our decisions instead of like. Emotionally connecting to one then we're going to be successful
0: When you talk about potential mistakes that you've made so far are there any big missteps that you think ah, if I could go back I would have done that very differently or you know We should we shouldn't have done this like that. Are there any sort of mistakes that stick out to you in your mind that? um, Yeah, that kind of you you acted in a way that you had you wish you'd done something
1: differently Well, I mean we've made lots of mistakes Um, and I think we'll continue to make lots of mistakes um yeah, you know, I wish we 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 need to continue to do a better job developing relationships with all the stakeholders. That includes the clubs, and that includes everybody else. And you know, we should have been more proactive about that earlier. Um, and I think that's 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 something that we we've learned. And so, and I still got to work on. I know, the, the, Adam, Tyler. We all have to work on just continuing to build those relationships with the with the existing basketball stakeholders. Um, from a Lions perspective, uh, you know, I think we took on a lot <laughs> this, this season. Um, we, you know, uh, invested in, you know, we were now invested in two clubs that were competing in four different competitions. Um, and so I think, you know, one of the things that, like we already know this, but the importance of bringing on quality people and being fully staffed for your ambitions is like so important I think we learned that. Um, the other kind of mistake is, is that I think that we make is we have all of these like assumptions around basketball. Like, from an American's perspective, it's like, duh, this is basketball. Of course, it's popular. Like, it's, it's just like, what are you, what are we talking about? And I think we have to continue to remind ourselves that this is very much still in this in this country a minority sport um, with a really small following, uh, and with people who need to be convinced that this is something. That they have, they should, they should want to pay for in terms of whatever, and they should be enthusiastic about it. So, I think we have a lot more work to do around activating, 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 and growing our audience. And I think um, I don't think we, we, I don't think in at least coming into this season, I think we figured those two things out later. And and if we had it a little bit better, we'd even have more success. Having said that, I think look, I, I think from the Lions' perspective, because. We just closed the BBL, uh, so haven't been done much yet. Frankly, we're, we're working. We've done a lot of work, but like you know, it hasn't, it hasn't been whenever. From the Lions' perspective, um, I think we, you know, it, it, we just need to be out there in the community more. We, we, what we've done this year has been, I think, nothing short of incredible. I don't think we expected the women to do as well as the women's done. I don't think we expected the men to, you know i really don't i mean I, I if you ask brett like he he set a set of expectations based on where we were and based on the constraints and the salary cap i think a lot of folks are under the false impression that we have this massive salary for our players we don't like a lot of our players are really high quality g league players who sat on the bench um and uh and and what. but we thought like these guys are great and brett berman is good at identifying that talent and bringing them over um uh and so I think considering everything, we've had a tremendous amount of sort of success this season with the Lions. And I think that there's a ton of learnings from that, where I think by next season we'll be in a much better position.
0: Two things I want to pick up on as we sort of start looking towards the end. One is just the, the you know, we've spoken repeatedly about people and it's something I strongly believe in. Your organization is only as strong as its people and that is just such a key part of it. Mm-hmm. I'll be interested to find out how difficult, you know, we've seen, uh, especially, you know, from, from a lion's side, you advertising job positions, um, how difficult it's been to find the people uh, that have got the prerequisite experience. I think, you know, within the UK, we don't necessarily have people that have sold tens of thousands of tickets to basketball games before because it hasn't been done on a regular basis. So we haven't got people that have operated at the level that you're trying to operate because we don't have British teams going into Europe every single year. So, like, you know, maybe you've got to siphon off from other sports or I don't know how it works, but, like, I'll be interested, you know, in that hiring process, what the feedback has been like in terms of how difficult it is to find quality candidates with the experience that you want to be able to... Um, match the level of ambition that you have. Uh,
1: look, I don't think you know. I think that that. I think what we've what we've learned is we because we're a minority sport and people don't really get where we are yet. We're just we just have to approach things differently. Um, and I think yeah, you know, my colleague Adam, he's really good at, at. thinking, we have to think out of the box, and that includes how we hire. Finding smart, super capable people is more important than finding people and who can learn quickly is almost more important than finding people who fit a specific box and in many ways may be super helpful you know uh, so i think that that's just that's just sort of probably the most important thing is just being open minded and flexible around the kind of people that we have and trying to develop a process where they can succeed that's an ongoing sort of sort of project and i think just being more like this is going to require more creativity in terms of attracting more m- more folks because you know, um, we're selling a different sport. At the end of the day, though, we're already building the momentum. People are trying to, starting to see, you know, we had 3,100 people at the Bochester game, right? I mean, before that, I don't, I've, I've never experienced a crowd like that with the, with the London Lions. Um, and, uh, and this is with a really, really skinny staff. Um, you know, we've proven the model. Uh, Brett Berman, our GM, has done an excellent job proving that model. Like you can get, like not crazily paid, but really highly like, high quality basketball players to come into the British Basketball League, especially with, um, with the prospect of competing in Europe, to show their stuff out there in the marketplace and go back and. Um, and uh, we can go back and make that pitch to other American players, and hopefully that's a model that everybody can 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 kind of uh, can emulate in the BBL. But in any, in any it, I guess the overall point is like we've got to be smart, we've got to be flexible, we've got to be sort of nimble, we have to be open-minded, and we just have to look for athletes. Like we don't we don't have the luxury of um, you know saying I really need a small forward here, I really need a power forward. We just need somebody who can like shoot and can learn. And that's it. And so, um, you know, in terms of the hiring stuff, it's just about being flexible, being thoughtful and then building a team from there.
0: So the other thing, you kind of mentioned the women, huh? and uh, that has been obviously a burning question from the women's side, is, you know, this investment wasn't into the BBL, not the WBBL, but of course there was a mention for ideally sharing resource across the WBBL um, within that press release, like, kind of, I guess, what, what are the plans on the women's side for the, for the WBBL, um, you know, do you see that being an important part of this to make this work, um, and I guess what potential changes could we see from a WBBL perspective uh, moving forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know we've spent so much time on the BBL transaction, trying to get that over the line that uh, we just haven't uh, engaging the others, uh, any, any like thinking beyond that. Real frankly, hasn't been a priority. I mean, I think we're obviously dedicated to women's sport and women ach- achieving in sport, and that's why we've invested in a in a, in, in the lines the way we have. I'm um, not sure anybody's invested as much as uh, much into women's basketball in the UK. Ever, If not for a very long time. And so we're very, we're very focused on making sure the women are, are successful in many ways. It may be an easier, but maybe a a shorter path to them competing in top competition than even the men. Um, so, uh, we're absolutely dedicated to, to, to growing the, the, uh, women's basketball. Uh, there are a number of things that uh the bbl responsibilities that the bbl has in terms of commercially with women's basketball that hopefully um where i think wbbl is going to is going to benefit from tremendously but we're absolutely committed to women's sport and women you know uh being a part of the sport from uh for a number of reasons it's the the first one is it's the right thing to do um and, and then the, the rest of it are these women are incredible athletes. Some of my favorite London Lions players play for the women's team. Um, so so and they're incredible athletes. They're like great people. Um, and if we can engage, you know, there's a big, and then just from a strict commercial perspective, if you can't engage uh young girls who eventually would become young women then you're going to have a hard time getting the fan the fan base that you need because they're a big part of the population so um so yeah, so we're committed to women 's basketball the british basketball league is is committed to helping to grow the commerciality of the women 's basketball, but in terms of a, a deal potentially with the WBBL we haven't uh, we haven't broached that yet we have a lot of work in front of us
0: so ten ten fifteen years down the line, everything goes as planned like what do you what do you think the bbl looks like what would you like to see it look like um yeah, what's, what's what is the sort of what does success look like?
1: Wow, um, ten fifteen years down the line, um, indoor well, uh, there's a bunch of things on the community side. We have real community programs that have a huge impact on kids who, again, are are, are neglected, underserved, overlooked, um, and we've provided um, a valuable kind of. Uh, set of experiences for them that helps them become good young adults um that base that community base is that community kind of involvement and engagement in those kids hopefully means better outcomes for them but also means from a commercial perspective a, a nice core fan base that is sort of younger and more diverse and more representative of the uk um, i think that's super important and then it also becomes a part of our pap, our, our academy pipeline which hopefully produces star basketball players. There's no reason why um, the UK should lag like France or Spain in terms of creating NBA players. Um, so that should be so. So hopefully that, that that's a big part of it. And then hopefully we can retain a bunch of those players because the league is in a commercial place where we can top we can pay for top British talent, and there are plenty of them. Uh, and so, elite academy program that creates top clown that eventually plays in the UK, which means we've got a better GB product. Um, and I think we have a great GB product now. Like the British basketball, the GB team is good. I watch them. There's a lot of really, really good players uh, in the UK. I don't want to, you know, this is not about them, but we want to continue to grow and have more and more players. The top, the top British players see the UK as a real option. In fact, a top option, um, top three option for them to play. And then the sort of American and international players look at British basketball as a top three kind of sports to, to, to be participants in and a and, and top three league for them to, to play in uh, and that we're the second biggest league in the world. That's that's kind of the goal and all of that is going to be driven off of really doing something unique which is providing a really fun entertainment product for sort of fans. So I think that's kind of the goal uh, for us.
0: One thing just briefly that we haven't touched on which I intended to touch upon was just facilities and how important facilities are and clubs owning their own venues. Mm-hmm. Like when you talk about the infrastructure of the sport in the UK and how important it is um, to have clubs playing out of their own, their own owned venues um, you know, how yeah. important is it and how can that become a reality again? It's going to cost a lot more than 7 million for, for every club to have their own, their own sort of, you know, three, 4,000 seat arena um, kind of, I guess, what, what is the plan uh, from the BBL's perspective to help franchises achieve that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, so it looks so a lot of that is, um, yeah, we're thinking about that, we've been working on that as a, as a project, what is the best way to kind of look at, at doing it. Um, I think if we succeed in terms of executing our plan, there will be a lot of enthusiasm for helping to grow the sport and so the other important basketball stakeholders will, will kind of step up in a major way to help make sure that there are facilities all over the country, um, purpose-built facilities all over the country um, that, that can help put on high quality events, uh, for professional teams, um, uh, for national teams across the country. And then obviously to, to support the community, the very important community programs and the league academies that we, we want to support in the league and in, in the team. Ken, the, the facilities are a very, very important part of that. Um, and so, you know, we want to, we have to think about like what kind of owners that we need to bring into the league, uh, what kind of investors, um, to the for the clubs that are open to investment what are the important things that they need to think about and uh and then the other basketball stakeholders that are crucial how can they help support this you need high quality indoor facilities for the sport to work um and we're fortunate in the sense that like there are a lot of indoor sports that need that too um so hopefully there are partnerships across those sports um so that we serve as many kids as possible
0: when you talk about uh sort of you need the right quality owners. You know, if I, if I'm an owner of a BBL franchise already, I'm thinking, Oh, you know, am I potentially going to have to see other owners come in and, and sort of have a stake in my franchise? How will that play out? If you have franchises that don't, ne- or franchise, current franchise owners that don't necessarily want to take, uh, other, well, stake, sell, sell stakes in their franchise to, to bring in other owners and kind of, I guess, split their piece of the pie.
1: Well, I mean, that's interesting. I look, I, I don't think, again, I, I, I have a lot of respect, and I really like our existing ownership group, and I've built relationships with them, and got to keep doing that. Um, I think a lot of the clubs are open to having outside investors, uh, and that's basically our conversations with them. The ones who aren't, will find other ways to kind of benefit from um, from hopefully a league that's profitable, uh, and so and, and and that that they benefit from that. So. Um, uh, you know, we're enthusiastic and excited about our current pro- partners. Um, we are absolutely committed to making sure that they're successful to the extent that we can, can be. Um, but we want to just continue to, where it makes sense to, to have where people are open to it, and a lot of clubs are uh, open to a kind of other investment. You know, we want to help that happen. Uh, and then where clubs aren't interested in it, that's fine too, but for the other expansion clubs, we want to make sure that we that we can that we can uh sort of do that so we just keep building uh sustainable um sustainable clubs in the bbl
0: and then finally, if you had a message for fans or the British basketball community uh kind of uh about what you were doing what what you're doing and what what would you say to them what would the message be
1: uh i mean first though I mean the first message is thank you. Because like the current British basketball community, it, they're so invested in the sport. It's just so, it's so obvious. And I think, I think that existing fan base, like, we need your continued support. Like you make you make this thing happen the way it is now. Um, and so we just want to grow your ranks. That's all. Uh, and so um you know continue to support proselytize for us tell all your friends to come to games get you know become our you know become our our champions as we try to push the push push the sport along and grow the sport and make it more accessible to more and more fans and players and other and other and you know referees all these things so you know thanks you know hopefully thank you for letting us be a part of it um hopefully you can be uh cheerleaders uh and continue to be supporters and really are evangelists on the ground uh helping us uh sort of execute what we have to execute on um and then you know almost be be a part of the fight like you know like push push folks push push folks to cover basketball push folks to take us seriously uh Push, you know, whatever you can do. You, you know, we all have a little bit of civic responsibility that we can do. If we love the game, and you guys love the game as much as as much as I do, we just want to want you're an important stakeholder in all of this. And I think everybody here recognizes that, and and just wants your advocacy and wants that your continued support.
0: I think that is a perfect place to leave it lens thank you so much uh, for taking the time obviously you have a very busy decade ahead of you um i wish you all the best with it and uh, hopefully uh, we will see the bbl get to heights that we've only ever dreamed of um and so yeah thank you for taking time today
1: no thank you sam and you're obviously one of the most important people in the sport like you're just your dedication to to this um is, is great so we uh i think uh, we all recognize that around here and Hopefully we get, we get more and more Sam out there in the basketball ecosystem as, uh, as we build this thing out.
0: You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos, and more.